episode. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is already, if you are a subscriber to this channel, you realize this is a little bit different. Also, you probably might have seen that I posted that I would not be doing a live stream this week because I was tearing down my studio. <laughs> I was tearing down my studio to record a video curriculum with my friends. I got Jimmy Davis right here. Pastor, youth pastor, for how long? At Jericho Road Church. Yeah, church. Jericho Road Church for six years and then three years at a different church. Okay, so youth pastor of nine years. Neil Harden, which some of you may recognize, been on the show many times, uh, graduated from Biola. And what are you doing now, Neil? Uh, doing a lot of writing and preparing to hopefully enter a PhD program. Yeah, so we, uh, Jimmy had this brilliant idea <laughs> that uh, he wanted to record a youth curriculum a video curriculum small group study with a pastor an apologist and a theologian and so i tore down the studio we set up here in my living room you may recognize the guitars from some of my shorter videos um and so i wasn't planning to do a live stream this week but then with everything set up we got done the curriculum went well we're not too exhausted after recording two nights straight and said hey why don't Let's just do something really quick. Let's do a little Q&A with you guys. So tonight uh, we're going to be discussing a little bit about uh, youth ministry and doing apologetics in youth ministry as uh, Jimmy has, I think, done it very well with his students. He's had me and Neil both there uh, doing some training with his students as well as we want to take your questions. And so uh, this is very quick on the spot. So hopefully you guys are joining live. But hey, if you're watching after the fact, hopefully there's some good conversation here uh, that will be a benefit to you as well. So Let's just start off, Jimmy, um, put you on the spot. Again, if you're used to this channel, this is very different. It's me and a guest, not three people here. So hopefully the audio works well, too, but this will be a lot more fun. Uh, Jimmy, so you, uh, being in youth ministry, nine years, six years at Jericho Road Church, uh, maybe, is there a point where you realized the need for apologetics or a deep training with students in theology and understanding who God is and what Christianity teaches? Or is that something from the very beginning, you jump straight into youth ministry, just diving deep into scripture? Or was there like a, hey, let's have fun and games and do kind of what some see as a youth pastor thing and then realizing the need for a change, a switch? Yeah, okay. So if I'm completely honest, all right, it, it kind of bases off of my, my own lack of faith. So uh, every time I always tell the church, I always tell them, uh, when I take the spiritual gifts, uh, like what's your talent in Christianity? Well, my lowest gift is faith. Like I just, I can't have faith. I, I am more prone to anxiety and worry and panic and to believe that there's a God that exists. Like, I don't know if I can have the faith for that or uh, believe that God wrote this book. Like, I'm not sure if I have faith for that. For me, I have to know that there's good reasons to believe something is true. Um, I don't know if that's just specific to me, maybe as the millennial generation that you guys are into, maybe you guys kind of resonate a little bit with that too. Like you want to have good reasons to believe something is true and not just get spoon fed blindly, like blind faith. So um, with Generation Z, which is the current uh, high school group, like I'm noticing that that trend of, you know, not buying into things blindly that applies to them too. And so I've seen so many times with today's high school students that they are not in favor of a blind faith. You know, maybe that worked for your grandma and that's great if you're, you know, people have blind faith. I don't want to disregard that. Um, but I am noticing a trend. And if you're a high school student watching right now, I mean, let me know if I'm wrong about this, but you know, you want to have good reasons to believe something is true. I mean, if you really are going to base your lifestyle, right? So these are your lifestyle choices, you know, who are you going to be in a relationship with, who are your friends going to be, how you choose a career, everything that dictates about your life. Like if you're going to revolve your life around something, you're going to orbit around something, you want to make sure that that thing you're orbiting around like is real and it's true because if it's fake phony or false like you're gonna waste your life and waste your time and nobody wants to do that so you want to have good reasons uh to believe something is is true and that's exactly what i think the the high school generation wants to know yeah it's how many would you actually say um and neil feel free to jump in here i'm just this is pick on jimmy time right now so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get, yeah exactly this is all the times that you have come to us we're kidding <laughs> oh, <geez>. you <laughs> um no but for reals uh so i mean would you say this is something that the students that you've worked with have naturally just desired of, I want to know this truth? Or is it more of like 
somewhat more maybe apathetic that you have had to try to kind of push them. And then once they then get to that point, they realize, wow, this is important. I should know this stuff. So is there a pushing and a pulling and a twisting? Or is it more like you realize this is something deep down they just truly want and it was more easier to say, okay, here it is. Okay. So the best way for me to answer this question, if I'm honest, is by telling a story. All right. And it's a great story. And I think Ryan knows the story I'm about to tell. So does it involve me? It does. <laughs> all right. So Ryan and I used to be roommates, right? We used to live together. And, and Neil as well. And Neil as That's well. That's how we all know each other. Exactly. Well, um, I knew that Ryan does something called a atheist role play. All right. So I, I don't want to steal too much thunder. But what Ryan does is he will present himself in front of students and he will pretend to be or take on the role of an atheist and he will debate the kids in the audience and so I brought Ryan along but this is what I did though this was <laughs> very deceiving of a pastor to lie to his students but I lied to my students is it a lie or is it just deception for good purpose and good reason right because I mean, if there's you know it doesn't matter if the means are bad right no it's not what we're saying all right so I invited Ryan over to a youth group Bible study, all right? And none of my students know who Ryan even is. I introduce him as my roommate, which is true. And I say that this is my atheist roommate, all right? And we're going to have him over at our Bible study. And, you know, we need to be good Christian boys and girls and treat him with respect and treat him with kindness. And we want to hear a different perspective. And so I invited my atheist roommate to come and share uh, some of his ideas that are opposite Christianity. So what Ryan does, he, he takes the stage and immediately starts dismantling all, I mean, all the faith in the room. <laughs> well, if we can even take a step back, I mean, your students were putting me on the spot before because we had dinner beforehand. True, true. And, and they were watching me as we prayed. <laughs> to see if I would close my eyes because they're like, is this guy legit? And so like, I remember like bowing my head and being like, should I close my eyes? Should I bow my head? Should I act like I don't care? Like I'll be respectful and I'll do what they do. And they were watching me the whole time just like critiquing, like, is this guy real? And I guess I convinced them of it. So anyways, yeah, we start and I just dismantle. And yeah, so <laughs> I don't know, like the very first question that, that Ryan asked the, the students, he goes, so give me your best. What, why are you a Christian? What's your best reason for being a Christian? And uh, the students had two main responses. The most popular one was uh, because my parents are Christian. And then you just easily dismantled that. Like, oh, so just because your parents are a certain religion, that means that religion is true, right? Oh man, that crushed them. And the other one was something a lot like, uh, oh, because I feel it in my gut or whatever. I'm like, well, aren't, and Ryan's like, don't other religions kind of base their faith on a gut feeling too? And so he just took contradictions in the Bible. Oh my gosh, that that was really bad. Like, oh, there's like these differing numbers or these differing accounts. The Gospels can't even agree with each other. And there's so much just contradictions in the Bible. How could you possibly believe that this is God? So anyway, it gets to the point to where some of the students <laughs> are crying. Like, I didn't know this. I did not know. Holding back tears. There were, and, there were junior high girls, right? Junior high girls. I was making time. junior high girls cry. I don't know. I hope you feel good about yourself. I, hope, I don't. How do you sleep well at night? I don't know. I don't know. Really. Oh, no. And then, but the guys in the room, they were heated. I mean, there was one student of mine. I don't know if Matt Lee's watching, but man, I have one student that was about to tear you apart. I got to hold him back. So anyway, what Ryan does is at the end of his atheist role play, will reveal himself that he's not truly an atheist and what's great is he kind of repairs all the damage that he caused and he undoes his his own arguments and he, by doing that ryan kind of shows that there is good reasons to believe that christianity is true apart from your just your parents being christian because that's a pretty weak argument or that you have a gut feeling but ryan laid out really solid evidence for why Christianity is true. And at the end of that atheist role play, I had a couple of students, at least two, approach me and they said, uh, wow, Jimmy, and holding the Bibles, we need to know this like so much better. Like it really showed them that they don't really know enough to defend their own faith and that that's a problem and they really want to do something about it. Yeah, I remember that student being a lot more 
animated and his almost anger towards you where he goes, Pastor Jimmy, we have to know this stuff. And you went, what do you think we're doing right now? Because one really cool thing, and I, and I share this story frequently because I think this was awesome, is that the week before I came to do the atheist role play, the first kind of apologetic lesson you discussed were contradictions in the Bible and in the Old Testament. And so that was one of the first arguments that I brought up was look at these numbers in the Old Testament where they don't match. You know, someone became a king at nine versus 19 or Solomon had 2,000 horses or 20,000 horses. These are just contradictions. And I think it was like an eighth grade girl in your youth group was like, excuse me, and raised her hand. She's like, here's why these numbers are in it or, or why you get different numbers and it's a scribal mistake and blah, blah, blah. And I just went, well, you know, another objection. I quickly had to move on. Because it was, it was, what it showed was it was so simple with an understanding of this objection is not actually grounded uh, to just say, well, what about this? And I had to quickly move on to something else. So that was a huge kind of way to go for you and your youth group and the kids uh, of standing up for, for that aspect of truth. Yeah. So since then, uh, you know, that you continued to, to engage in theology and apologetics and discipleship. I came in a couple times. Uh, Neil came in a couple times. Uh, Neil, what were some of the topics uh, that you talked about maybe with Jimmy's youth group? Uh, I think I came in once, but it was to talk about homosexuality. Yeah. Okay. But didn't we both, we were also both there for like a Q&A or a... So you were exactly. always like a... Because we were all in the same house together, so <laughs> you're a fly on the wall, like... So, of course, like, if something comes up, like, you're accessible, which is wonderful. Like, yeah. I didn't have to ask you for help. It was, like, completely voluntary. So, it's like, hey, yeah, sure, you can do my work for me. I know. I was, like, in my bedroom doing homework or something and any excuse to get away from writing papers or something. It's like, right. hey, yeah, let's go talk to students. No one wants to do their homework. Not yeah. even, you know, people in seminary. <laughs> yeah. No, awesome. And so, hey, uh, Dental Mike, uh, Dental Mike saying hi, Neil. Hello. There you go. Uh, so again, if you are watching, uh, send us questions on anything. As a pastor, apologist, and theologian, we want to take your questions about Christianity. And so if there are any questions on Christianity, culture, um, you know, we, uh, maybe we'll jump in really quick and, and discuss the, the video curriculum. So um, you had this idea of doing the video curriculum. Uh, there were six sessions. Jimmy, you want to tell us a little bit, what were the six sessions that we just covered in your curriculum? Yeah, so this small group series, I, I titled it, Practical Christianity, what does Christ have to do about anything? Uh, and I tied it into like six different areas that, um, you know, we, we talk about and yet don't talk about or we, we know about, but we'd rather fight about it. And so some of those areas that we covered in the video series, we covered um, politics. That's always a good one, right? Because you can just put politics on your Facebook status and you can cause all kinds of uh, fights and debates on there. It's, uh, it's a dumpster fire, really, if I'm honest. Um, we also talked about morality. Um, we talked about homosexuality or, or sexuality in general. Um, we, I'd also talked about... There's our list. Yeah, I was like... Let's remember what are all the things we just like, talked about. What? Oh yeah, we talked about science. I know that that's a very popular thing. I, I believe that the majority of your YouTube videos, like the ones that are most viewed, I believe, are the ones that you talk about science. Yeah, some of my most viewed podcasts and YouTube videos are the science-based ones. Yeah. It's definitely a big uh, question in Christianity. Yeah, so I'm glad we got to cover that. We covered uh, religion. Uh, so talking things like, you know, is Jesus the only way to God or aren't all religions all the same anyway? Uh, and then the last one we covered was just doubts. Um, we um, all have doubts to some degree, I think, and we're just not always honest. And, um, and then that's really a good, I think, heart behind what we're doing here tonight. I mean, there shouldn't be any shame behind having, any, having doubts. Like I, I shared in the small group study that... Uh, doubts isn't what's damaging to faith. It's silence. It's not talking about your questions. And yeah. so I love that Ryan and Neil, what they do for a living with you know your websites, with Coffeehouse Questions, with your YouTube channel, is he's willing to take questions. Like how many people really are out there saying, I want to take your question. I want to be a listener. I want to help you uh, process this thing that you're you're thinking about, right? You're not forcing things down people's throats per se. It's like, hey, you have a question, you have an objection. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to ask you good questions to help you get to hopefully a reasonable answer. Yeah, absolutely. So really quick, um, uh, maybe I just go over to Neil here really quick, and uh, you know, let's talk about the doubt question because we we just recorded a video on it. Um, you know, uh, 
what would be your encouragement, I guess, to those who are here? Maybe they join this and it's like, hey, Q&A, what are some questions? Or, you know, what, what should I do with my questions? What should I do with my doubts? How do I doubt well, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first thing to realize is that all of us have doubts. You know, none of us uh, has perfect faith and, you know, can comprehend all the mysteries of, of God and can comprehend all the mysteries of the Bible. And uh, so I think, first of all, is realizing that all of us have questions, all of us have doubts. The question it, or the, the question we ought to ask, rather, is what do we do with our doubts? You know, we shouldn't uh, be hard on ourselves for having doubts, but we should, uh, you know, bring those questions to, you know, people like you who deal with these things for a living or to our pastor or like to people that we trust. And, you know, the other half of that equation is, you know, how does the church respond to doubts and to questions when um, these things are brought up? And unfortunately, I think a lot of people get a mixed experience. Some people are really open and welcoming to doubts and questions and are willing to talk through it. And so a lot of people, unfortunately, respond in a way which uh, just kind of says, you know, just have faith let's not talk about this, let's just stifle our our thoughts and our questions away. And that's really not a, a healthy way to approach doubt. God wants us to ultimately come to him with our doubts and our questions, to go to his word and to go to his people uh, to look for those answers. Um, so that's... I, that's what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like my interview with Bobby Conway of doubting toward faith, uh, using those anxi that anxiety to draw closer to God and understand uh, what he has revealed to us. Uh, a question came in here for you, Neil, because you have your master's in theology and I have defined you or at least labeled you as the theologian. Uh, and so the fifth trumpet asked here, let me make this a little bit bigger. Is that too big? No, let's put it right on the TV. So it looks like it's on the TV. There we go. Can you define exactly what I what a theologian is? Well, it comes from uh, two Greek words, theos and logos, but it, it, in essence, it means the study of God. So I am someone who studies God for uh, a living, or I got my degree in someone who studies God. Okay. All, all the associated things that come along with that, that, you know, studying God's a very broad thing, but, you know, the nature and character of God, studying the Bible, um, but, you know, you could take it even more broadly, and even looking at gods and other religions, you could still be a theologian technically, but I guess I'd say I'm a Christian theologian. Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, you know, we've labeled you the pastor and me the apologist and you the theologian, but in, in what way then, if it's simply someone who studies God and the things of God, in what way would every Christian then be a theologian? In some respect, yeah. Um, I mean, people might not get into it as deeply as I might on uh, some issues, but you know, with a pastor, you deal a lot with the, you know, how does this work out practically in the church? And as the apologist, you deal with like tough questions and providing answers. And um, I, I kind of look at it as, you know, providing the, the foundations that uh, really theology is the basis on which like you two ultimately draw your answers from, like whether it's practically in the church or whether you find, uh, you know, do a, doing apologetics, it, ultimately what underlies your answers is theology. And so yeah. I want to find, you know, what are the unanswered questions about God or about the Bible and really trying to work through what does scripture say about a particular issue one way or another. So that way um, it helps you guys do your jobs. <laughs> well, I think that's a fantastic point because, you know, my job as an apologist, if I am making a defense for God and the existence of God and for the reliability of scripture, but then I don't have a correct theological view of my doctrine of God, then that's why there's Muslim apologists and Mormon apologists and Christian apologists. And I could easily be doing an apologetic for the wrong God, for the wrong faith. And That's so fair. your theology has to be solid uh, in order to have a good apologetic for the right thing, making a defense for the right God. Uh, how would you say that theology is important in having a good theology of God and and in all the different areas in what Neil talked about is you then focus on how this practically applies to the church. How, how would you say that your Theology is necessary in that practical application in the church. Yeah, so I was, I'd kind of answer it with a question more. Great, great question, by the way, with Trumpet. This is, that was really cool. Is, is it not just Christians who are theologians? Mm -hmm. Is in everybody, <laughs> everybody is a theologian, all right? You cannot not have a theology, right? You cannot not have an idea or understanding of God. And whatever your understanding of of God is, even if that understanding is no God, yeah. right? Even that, atheists are theologians. <laughs> right. Even atheists have to have faith. Like, and that faith is going to play out practically 
in your life. No one can escape this. Mm-hmm. That's just fact. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, whatever you put your faith in, it will bleed into your choices. Uh, it will bleed into your behavior, into your actions, why you do what you do, you know. And me as a pastor, you know, I want to come alongside everybody, right? I, I'm not, just because I'm Team Jesus doesn't mean I only help people on the bench of Team Jesus, right? We're called to to minister to the whole world. You know, we're supposed to, right, the top two commandments, love God and love others, right? We get those two things right, we get all of it right. And that's that's what the theology is supposed to lead into. It's not just a, in theory, right, a theoretical uh, idea, like, oh, like, this is just in theory, but we never use it in practice. Like, that is a useless faith. Like, that's a worthless faith. Like, no one is going to find God. No one's going to experience the love of Christ if your theology just stays a theology and never becomes boots on the ground, concrete, you know, lived out faith, love of God. You know, I, I've said this to my, to my students. I go, maybe if you get a hundred unbelievers, a hundred people who don't believe in God, right? And maybe one person will find God by reading this book. Maybe one will pick up a Bible, as rare as that is. The other 99 aren't going to read a Bible. They're going to read a Christian. Mm-hmm. And if they do not see theology lived out lovingly, charitably, respectfully, right? They're going to get a bad taste of God. They're going to get a bad taste of, of Jesus, you know, it is very important when the Bible says that we are ambassadors, right? We're representatives of Christ. So a person, like their first experience of Jesus might be you. And it's like, man, that, I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah. I don't want to mess that up. Yeah. And again, like I just thought it was so funny, a practical story with that is, uh, you know, the interview I did with Bobby Conway, his book, The Fifth Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. Mm. And it's taken from, you know, other places that he took that idea from. But he said uh, that uh, I think it was the blaze.com or some popular, you know, website wrote an article and they titled it uh, Pastor Finds or Pastor Declares Another Gospel or something like that. And he got blasted by Christians. (laughs) By Christians who assume from the title that he was presenting there's some sort of authoritarian word of God gospel that was left out of the gospels. And and he's like, look, you're the people that I wrote this book for. Because, again, uh, how is the Christian living out the gospel in their lives uh, with the people around them? Um, so, uh, so Jimmy, really quick though, uh, what would you say? And then I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Neil, as well. And again, I see more people are joining here. So the, we're taking questions on anything, church, theology, apologetics, po- you know, politics. Oh, there's a great, uh, some, I think a question came in there. I'll check that out here in a moment. Um, questions on anything, culture, life, whatever it may be. If you want some advice, we have some smart people here. Jimmy will answer it. Um, <laughs> Neil will too. I'm off, I'm off the hot seat. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, Jimmy, what would you find is some of the biggest objections from students to Christianity or some of the biggest difficulties uh, for students in living out the Christian life? I'm going to um, ask you too. So maybe if you uh, if you have some thoughts. Yeah. So there's a, there's a ton. So I don't, I don't want to necessarily cover ones that we already talked about, but one of them was the doubt one, that they just legitimately have doubts. And they are told to sit there, shut up, and just have faith. And that has burned them from Christianity Mm -hmm. and the church. Uh, Something that's really awesome about Generation Z and these like high schoolers is they very much have a value for sticking up for others, especially if they're marginalized and especially if they're like disenfranchised. So one of those groups, unfortunately, what the church does and you got to tell the church is guilty, you know, of, of coming off really strong against homosexuality. I mean, I, I, there has to be a reason why all the research studies, when, when, when people are getting interviewed, you know, what, what are the first two words that come to mind when you think of a Christian, right? So in, the, in a study that was done, people were answering, you know what the, the top two words are that, that come to mind for a Christian? People say either judgmental mm-hmm or homophobic. Those are the top two labels that Christian Christians have. Right? And 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 I 
I think there's good reason for that evidence that that's being put out there, and I don't think that that's good for the church to to come off so strongly against homosexuality. We had a really great session uh, talking about homosexuality and how that sin tends to get spotlighted a little too hard, and what we end up seeing is if that that if that sin gets spotlighted, then that means that that spotlight's not on my sin, right? Let's not talk about my my pornography problem, right? Let's talk about your homosexuality. Let's not talk about my search history. Let's talk about your homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about me uh, coveting another man's wife. You know, let's talk about your homosexuality, right? As long as the spotlight stays on you, it'll never be on me. So bringing this back to students now. Students, okay, they stand up for for people who who identify as homosexual and they see them get pushed to the curb. Like they see them get beat up, they see them get bullied, mocked, ridiculed, and what's awesome about Generation Z is that they stand up for those those people that are hurting, right? Now, where the flip side is, is the church needs to take a take a note from, needs to take a, a page out of their playbook, right? I think that they need to follow what, what Generation Z is doing and be like, not necessarily approve, endorse, or enable homosexual behavior, but to have the the love the loving kindness like let's talk about it let's dialogue let let me ask you some good questions um, and let me let me talk to you about God's ethic for sexuality let me let me talk to you about the Bible's plan the Bible's vision for sexuality you know why I think it leads to human flourishing why I think that that's best so I know it's a long answer. That's yeah. only two things. There's there's a whole oh, other good. other list of stuff that I don't want to take up time for. Well, Neil's going to talk about the whole other list and other stuff that's on that list. So uh, can you repeat the original question? I will. So <laughs> yes, and, and then we'll get to you, Dan and Mike. But um, uh, the original question, I'm just curious of what would you kind of in your um, you know experience in the church and in your studies and in your friendships and relationships, what have you seen kind of been the difficulties or the uh, objections or the um, yeah, I guess the difficulties for people to maybe live out the Christian life or what are the, the hard Christian answers they're struggling with that they just don't get that maybe lead to them doubting or having problems? I definitely say sexuality is probably one of the bigger ones that I've seen, um, definitely even in my own life that I've had to experience. Uh, I'd also say probably the, the problem of evil is another common yeah. objection. It's probably the most common one. You know, when someone's in pain for one reason or another, you know, they lost someone close to them, something bad happened to them. You know, th those are really when uh, a lot of the, our doubts come to the surface is when we're in pain and we're wondering, you know, why God, why me, why now, why this person, why did it have to continue on like this? Um, so I, yeah, I'd probably say the problem with evil is the other big one. Um, no, that's so right. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to kind of jump in a little bit to the topic of sexuality as both of you brought that up as things that people deal with. And Dan and I kind of uh, brought that up as well. And so we'll get into that. So first question here from uh, Dan O'Mite is, um, oh, that's a little bit too big. Uh, <clears throat> here we go. Hopefully you guys can see that. Um, great answers, you guys. Thank you. Appreciate that. We're trying on the spot. Again, this is not planned. This is just last minute. Hey, we got some time. Let's do this. Um, theologian, apologist, pastor. Are Christians called to be all three? Defend the faith, study the word, and share the word with love. I would say absolutely. I would put a qualification on pastor because the Bible also puts a qualification on pastor. That is true. Um, but certainly, as we discussed, we're all theologians. And as Christians, we're all, you know, is it first or second Peter? We're all called to like give an answer and account yep. for our faith. So we're definitely called to be theologians and apologists. Uh, not our call. All are called to occupy the office of elder or pastor in a church. Yep. Even though we are called to certainly be evangelists. I think you said. Uh, yeah, that's where I kind of went. Yeah, absolutely. He says and share the word with love. Yeah, we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to uh, you know share the gospel and to act pastorally and empathetically towards others, but not necessarily mm -hmm. occupy that particular office in the church. Good. Any other thoughts, Jimmy? Yeah, I'm glad that you caught that that qualifier. I yeah. mean, oftentimes, um, you know, what the New Testament text does, right? That the word that it's used for for overseer, for elder, presbytos, right? So, in other words, in the New Testament, you'll never, except for one or two occasions, never see pastor. Like it's just it's 
most of the time, the New Testament writers use the word presbytos, which means overseer. Uh, it's also, it gets translated into bishop, and I guess that's where the Catholic Church gets their bishops or whatever. But yeah, not everyone is called to be a presbytos, um, overseer, elder, pastor. Um, and there are very strict requirements, right, that we see in, uh, what, First and Second Timothy and in Titus. Um, but not everyone is meant to be a prispitas, um, you know? But yes, in, in Dynamite's question, are we all called to share God's word? Uh, absolutely. Like, we're all supposed to be studying God's word and knowing God's word and sharing God's word. All right, let's go on to Dynamite's second question here, uh, where he says, um, How can I address love is love, is wrong and is sin, theologically, apologetically, and pastorally, while preaching the gospel? And maybe if there's any questions coming on in there too, uh, we can uh, address those. But uh, we'll just go in the order that Dynamite mentioned. So, Neil, you're on the spot for <laughs> or do you want someone else to answer first? So, theologically, how would you address love is love, is wrong and sin? You know, the, the scripture I go to when I hear that particular objection is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about what love is. And it says, I believe in verse 6, that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Yeah. And so we have to be able to reconcile the fact that being able to love someone or um, necessarily the feelings you might have for someone doesn't necessarily determine whether it's good or bad. Um, you know, we, we need to make sure that the love that we, uh, or, or that, that love is qualified, uh, within moral, moral boundaries that are, am I getting out of the camera there? No, you're good. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that love comes with, uh, um, yeah, moral boundaries, like I was saying. And so we need to be able to say, okay, if I have feelings for someone, I think you, you had said this earlier, like there are plenty of people you are, you hey, love. you're about to take my apologetic answer. Uh, Why? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> then, I, maybe I'll just, uh, I'll pass it off to you and let you say it then. Oh, <laughs> uh, you could, you probably would have said it better than me. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, no, but in the video curriculum that we just recorded, uh, kind of my apologetic answers and, and really what my response is when students very quickly use this with me about, well, love is love. And I go, well, is it like, Yes, like we are called to love all people, but we that does not mean that you have sex with all people. That doesn't mean that you're in an intimate romantic relationship with all people. And I quit and I say, especially with students, I can think of someone who you probably love very much that you should never have sex with. And they very quickly go, oh no, not mom or not dad, gross. And it's like, exactly. Like I love my brother. I should never have sex with them. And most people would agree with me. I love my students, but it would be highly illegal and I would get arrested and thrown in prison if I tried to have any romantic relationship with them. And it's not, and it also goes obviously against God's command with adultery. Uh, they're loving parents, loving tons of people. And so just because we are called to love people, love, love being love, then relating into also means you should be able to have a romantic sexual relationship with that person. Uh, that's not how we relate with this. And even in a non-Christian culture, then we can still use this argument because what I have found is virtually everyone has some sort of limitation that they put on sexual activity. I just got in this conversation in YouTube comments on one of my videos where someone goes, well, isn't that convenient? You say, you know, uh, uh, you know, a man and a woman can get married and have sex, but two men can't. How convenient, how unfair. And I said, and I, my response was, do you think that sexual, sexual, sexuality and sexual actions should be without any limitation whatsoever? And they go, well, as long as there's consent. Well, now you have a limitation. There has to be consent. And I said, okay, so as long as there's consent, you can have sex? Yes. What about a 50-year-old guy with a 12-year-old girl? Well, no, you have to be old enough. Okay, so you have to have consent and you have to be old enough. What about a brother and sister? Well, no, you can't be related. Okay, that's another limitation. So even a lot of people that say love is love, they're still going to put limitations on sexual activity saying you have to be old enough, you have to have consent, you have to not be related. And so those people who are related, not old enough, or not consenting, you can't have sex with them. And so the question is, do we have... A, a, an objective standard by which to judge who should and should not have sex, or is it completely arbitrary, right? I love the question of, uh, is marriage or is sexuality like gravity or is it like monopoly? 
Is it like Monopoly, a game where we get to make the rules and we get to play by whatever rules we want as long as we all agree? Or is it like gravity where we discovered gravity and no matter what we believe or think about gravity, we don't get to change it. You don't stop believing gravity and float away. And the Christian perspective is love and sexuality and marriage is like gravity. That it is created by God, it is built into the foundations of our universe, and it's something that we have discovered, and we don't get to change it. There's a very strict objective standard. You're married, you can have sex. Marriage is one man, one woman for one lifetime, and everyone outside of that should not. Whereas I see the secular response is saying, there's no standard, we get to make the rules, but not you, not you, not you. Right? And it's, and it's like, again, the other example, it's like saying, if I go to... The movie theater and say I would like a student discount they're gonna say no you don't get one why not because I'm not a student very clear objective standard students get discounts non-students don't but if they went everyone gets a student discount and I walk up and they go oh not you you have brown hair that is wrong discrimination that would be inappropriate and so I think the Christian actually gives a, a biblical framework an objective standard for who should and should not marry and when we should and should not have sex that a secular worldview doesn't give it's completely arbitrary well you have to have consent says who well, I, that's just what we have decided. Well, so if someone comes along later and says we decide we don't want to have consent, does that change things? And so, again, I think that it's really important to understand this love is love. No one applies that universally to all people saying you could therefore can be in a romantic relationship with everybody. Yeah. From a pastoral perspective, I would, I would tell, tell someone love isn't the, like, cure-all, solution-all. It's not winning the lottery, per se. All right? I mean, to say, like, it's not the ultimate fulfillment in life. You know, sex isn't the ultimate fulfillment in life. And marriage is not the ultimate fulfillment in life. Again, the church does do a wrong, again, by emphasizing and idolizing marriage. Right? So for all the, the single people in our churches, it is so damaging to them. And it's so hurtful to, to tell single people or try to set them up because... You think that they're miserable in their singleness or they're, they're JV Christians for being single, um, you know, and what it does is it, it amplifies this like, well, if you're not experiencing uh, romantic love, then you're unfulfilled mm -hmm. in this life. And I know, Neil, you had a fantastic response um, just from the singleness perspective. I'd love the viewers to just, I know this is kind of a, a rabbit trail, but this is a really good, good, good rabbit trail, I promise. Can a single person experience love and can a single person experience fulfillment in this life without having sex? Absolutely. And your, your response kind of reminded me of uh, what we had talked about. And, you know, we asked the look at the person of Jesus. You know, he was single. He never married, <laughs> never had sex. And yet he is the truest human that's ever lived and existed. And so yeah. we have to, as a church and as a culture we have to stop idolizing or stop buying into this idea that you can't be happy or fulfilled in this life unless you have marriage or sex and that a little bit of what the uh the kind of the love is love um slogan gets tossed around and but they don't really define what love is yeah and so they equate all of love with purely who am i sexually attracted to and who mm -hmm. am i sleeping with yeah and that that's really what that statement kind of you know is saying, you know, I, I'm sexually attracted to this person. I love them. Therefore I should be allowed to, you know, ha have sex or do what, do whatever I want. Um, but yeah, as a single person, you know, it, it's funny, sex and marriage are both temporary earthly institutions. You know, when Jesus, uh, you know, the Pharisees try to trap, or I think you know, it was the Sadducees who tried to trap Jesus in the, this predicament of like, okay, well, if a woman is married to seven different husbands during her life, you know, when she dies, who's she going to be married in the afterlife? And Jesus says, you know, neither the power of the scriptures or, and basically tells them that, you know, in the eternity, we aren't going to be married or given in marriage, but we will be like the angels. And yeah, so it's crazy to think singleness is going to be like everyone's final destination. Mm -hmm. Even if you're married, like Ryan and I are like, where is this bus going to stop? It's going to stop at singleness for everybody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think, too, uh, again, like marriage is beautiful. It is wonderful. We should not downgrade it. Again, we should elevate singleness. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we have this false view that all of my satisfaction, all of my needs, all of my wants will be fulfilled in my spouse. 
And there's two big problems with that is one, if that is your view as a single person, if I could just get married, then I'll finally be happy. You are putting an overwhelming burden on your future spouse yeah. that they cannot bear. And, it, and it, it'll be doing a massive disservice to them. Or you'll crush them. You'll crush them. Secondly, you can easily look around yourself. This isn't a good thing. And hopefully there's good, solid marriages around you. But you can look around yourself and just see it's not true. People are not happy in marriages sometimes. Uh, there's some marriages that are just not going well, and there's other marriages that are awesome. Uh, and so we can to, to have this kind of false view that I will have this perfect marriage with no problems and everything's going to be wonderful. Look, I know married people that are more lonely than single people and single people that are more lonely than married people. It's not about whether you're married or single. It's whether it's it is the question of who are, is who is in your life. Do you have me, deep, meaningful relationships with other people? That's that's what is the cure for loneliness. Yeah. So in the end, I wouldn't say love is love. I'd say God is love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what the scriptures say. And yeah. you're, that's where you're going to find ultimate fulfillment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. All right. Next question came in from Josue. Yeah. Another one of our roommates. <laughs> uh, so maybe we should just give some context here. Um, he replaced me, actually. Yeah, he did replace Jimmy. Maybe we shouldn't take his question. <laughs> <Get him off. laughs> Delete. Delete. Uh, no, so we lived in a house which is where mostly uh, was occupied by students of Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Jimmy got his Master's of Divinity at Talbot and then got married and left the house. Yep. I have my Master's of Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology. I got married and left the house. And then Neil graduated with his Master's in Theology and then actually recently moved out of the house as well. Yes. Josue has his, oh, he didn't go to Talbot as well. <laughs> Meanies. <laughs> uh, we'll get to it. Josue has his Master's of Linguistics from Cook mm-hmm. School of Intercultural, Intercultural Studies. Studies. There we go. So um, there's a little bit of context. And so it was a fun Biola Talbot house mm-hmm. and slash Cook house, I guess. Um, but Josue, let's, let's highlight your question and neil you are the political oh, expert so goodness. can i put you on the spot here too okay this is the advantage of being the host uh-huh. this is much more relaxed this is fun being a, yeah but uh this advantage of being the host i gotta throw it your way and again if you're just joining us we're answering questions about anything trying to help you guys think clearly from a pastoral theological or apologetic perspective life culture church christianity world religions whatever it may be so Josue asks uh how should christians respond to blm movement yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, first, I would say we have to distinguish between Black Lives Matter as an organization versus just uh, the saying Black Lives Matter. Um, the Black Lives Matter organization, uh, while I do think they stand uh, for some good things and some good principles which Christians can affirm, affirm they also stand for a lot of things which are contrary to the Christian worldview. And it, yeah comes to like gender and sexuality issues uh even just um you know they want to advance a lot of socialist ideals and uh you know just transform our country in a lot of different ways even though there are like principles of justice that i think we can uh, affirm um, we ultimately don't want to affirm the organization itself because of all the other um uh, bad things that they stand for Uh, as far as the saying black lives matter uh, itself i think that's something we as christians can say yes black lives do matter um that's, you know, taking into account the history of our country and just the, the oppression and just the injustices that black people often have experienced in our country. And so, you know, to say Black Lives Matter, to acknowledge that history, but also just to give, uh, acknowledge the worth and dignity that everyone who's an image bearer of God has, I think is a really important thing to do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of thought of it in a different way as even when it really it kind of kicked off, what was it, about a month ago or two, two months ago? Um, but I, I related it to kind of if I was having a conversation with my wife, uh, where you have, uh, you know, some people think that if you're going to champion BLM uh, and just say Black Lives Matter, that you are, you know, uh, downgrading other people, that you're trying to lower other people or even boost black people above other races. Um, I didn't necessarily see it like that. The way that I saw it is, um, and especially the very common saying of all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I related that to like, if I woke up every morning and looked at my wife and say, I love everybody. <laughs> and if she has a really hard day at work and she comes home and she's in a difficult place and she's just wanting her husband to love her and she goes, oh, do you love me? And I go, well, I love everybody. 
Like, I think sometimes there's a value in just saying, I love you, mm -hmm. right? And by saying, I love you does not mean saying, I don't love other people. And so I think there is a value of saying, Black Lives Matter. You matter. I love you. And so, so I, I had a, you know, a hesitation when people go, no, all lives matter. It's like, well, yes, that's true. But here's a group of people. Here's people that are hurting, mm -hmm. people that don't feel like they matter, people that feel like they have been hurt or, or been taken advantage of or whatever it may be. And they're just saying, do I matter? Do you see me? And I think saying, yes, you matter. I don't see that as anything taking away from a Christian message. In fact, I think that is what we're called to do is we're called to go to the hurting. We're called to go to the needy. We're called to, as Christians to go to those people and say, I love you. You matter. Let me help you. Let me take care of you. Um, and hopefully we would do that with any group of people, obviously when it happens, but here it's happening to a specific group because of certain circumstances. And I don't see a problem with that. But again, I think it's important to say, just because I say something doesn't mean, again, you agree with every single thing that someone does. Yeah, and it's just with anything that contentious, we just have to be careful not to also just throw out slogans without taking into account context and um, just a lot of the complexity and the nuance that surrounds that particular uh, issue and organization. So it's just, I would just encourage Christians to use wisdom and discernment in um, in just how how they go about that. Yeah, and I think that is the hard thing for Christians because I think many are afraid that if they say Black Lives Matter then they will be associated as agreeing with the movement mm -hmm. and the the ideas that that movement is putting forth rather than our culture being able to distinguish the two and saying just because you say black lives matter does not mean you also agree with everything else in the same way with the love is love just because you say i love you does not mean i approve of every single thing that you do i love my students but guess what sometimes they cheat but saying i love you does not mean i'm agreeing with everything we hopefully can take and separate i think out those two kind of ideas and and the implications that flow from the language we use. But I think that might be the kind of the hesitation of some Christians. Jimmy, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I honestly, my, my honest answer is go to the go to the website. Go to the Black Lives Matter website so you can see what the organization believes. Okay, so let me preface before I go any further. You have to have that separation of the principle that Black Lives Matter. Absolutely you have to champion that. Like there is a uh, group of people who have experienced hundreds of years of, you know, disenfranchisement, right? And horrible things. We have to stand up, right? As Christians, we ought to. But is there an organization that might be hijacking, right? These people? I think so. And I think it's like when you go to a, a church homepage, right? You can go to a, a church website and you can click their about me. Right, and you can see everything that this church believes. You can go to a business website, click on the about me, and you can learn everything that that business believes in. Well, just like with Black Lives Matter, you can go to their website and you can click the about me, and they flat out say we are a Marxist group, you know, and we are here. Our sole purpose is to get Trump out. You know, they say things like we're here to deconstruct. You know, the nuclear family, uh, traditional definitions of gender. I'm like, okay, you're talking about stuff that has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. Now you are kind of using this as a Trojan horse, right? We're talking about Black Lives Matter. We can all get behind that. But what's inside the Trojan horse, right? They're trying to implant this deconstructionism, which I... Wish we had a philosopher uh, amongst us, because now we're getting into philosophy, which is deep waters for, for me right now as, Next a, time. as a pastor. But this idea of, of deconstructionism is essentially, if it doesn't work, then just get rid of it. If it doesn't work, just break it down, and let's just not have definitions, right? So gender, let's just, let's just get rid of gender, right? It's whatever you want it to be, however you feel. Sexuality, let's just get rid of definitions for sexuality it's just whatever you feel is right you know then that's what's right for you you know truth let's get rid of truth let's just say what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me so whatever it is we don't agree with let's just get rid of it let's literally deconstruct it and that's what we see in the organization black lives matter they're hijacking a very amazing principle that everyone needs to get behind black lives matter but they're injecting something in secret that I don't think is helpful for the country. Yeah.
And I think it's important to point out, my wife and I have had a lot of conversations about this, of that uh, one thing I see within Christians, right? The question is, how should Christians respond? Uh, I often, and we see Christians sometimes being very outspoken on what we're against, which is good, but not so much uh, speaking up for what we are for, right? And so it's, it's very easy to say, don't follow that, don't follow this, don't follow that, don't look at this, uh, versus saying, what are some awesome things that we can highlight, that we can celebrate that are happening in, in, in organizations that are doing really good stuff for the black community and for others? Um, all right, so a couple little objections here from God the Sewing. Thank you for joining the conversation. Uh, the reason why three white men are discussing Black Lives Matter is because the question came in. Uh, this was not the topic of our conversation. Yeah. This was a random question that came in during a Q&A, and so we are sharing our perspective on it. We're not doing a show. Um, I'm not getting white guys to discuss this on purpose. This is a Q&A, and that came in. Yeah. Also, just to say, we're also against police violence. Yeah, and that was, I was going to go back to the first one. It says, the movement is against police violence. That's As Christians, you're against black Americans. And I think that's one thing maybe that, Neil, you were about to say, but also you said at the very beginning, and so I don't know if Godless Sewing, you, you saw this, but you said there's a lot of good things that the organization is for that we can't, as Christians, can get behind. And would you say, you know, being against police violence, that yeah. is one of those that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're definitely against the police violence. We don't want to see that. And so we're not against black Americans. Uh, again, just because we are white also doesn't mean that what we are saying is false. That would be a genetic fallacy if you're going to say, well, because three white guys are saying it, therefore it's wrong. There's obviously things that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. There's things that we haven't gone through. There's experiences. Um, but again, it's not a conversation that we, we and, planned. And I would tell Godless Sewing, I mean, it doesn't mean we don't care. You know, like I'm in a position where I want to listen I want to learn, you know, like Godless Sewing, if you have some insights and clues to like share, like that's great, you know, mm -hmm. the dialogue, but you know, just because we're white doesn't mean we don't care. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I want to listen and learn from black Americans and hear what they've gone through because honestly, that's how I've learned and formed my opinions the best. Yeah. And I would say as well, uh, one of the coolest things during this time is with Netflix putting a lot of movies and TV shows uh, celebrating uh, Black Lives. My wife and I have watched quite a few, um, like Just Mercy and um, uh, uh, ones on Black Martin Luther King Jr. and um, uh, Selma and and others like that uh, that really have, in my view, uh, really opened my eyes to things that I was not aware of. Like in Just Mercy, I you know not knowing uh, what happened. You know, back in 1991, I think it was that you know man was exonerated down in in, in Georgia. Uh, for uh, from death row, wrongly, wrongfully convicted uh, for killing a girl that he never was even in that area. And so those things still happening. Uh, I'm currently reading a book right now, uh, Bloodlines, looking at a Christian response to race and, and ethnicity, uh, where again, it's pointing out very uh, specific things. It was written by John Piper, um, who uh, has really dedicated his life to racial um, health between races. Uh, because, you know, he adopted a black girl and so he kind of has experienced a lot of things with that. Uh, but talking about, you know, an event that happened, I don't remember where, back in like 1998 of a guy that was a black guy that was chained behind a car and drugged for miles till his body was just torn to pieces. Um, and it's just like these things just are, I was unaware of some of these events that had happened. And so that has been one thing that has been very beneficial or very cool for, for me to learn in this time is watching movies and hearing people's stories and reading things that people post online to really gain a better understanding of what people are going through. So, um, yeah, hopefully we're trying our best to understand and to figure out uh, this issue. It's a difficult one, but um, yeah, trying to listen. Complete change of topic. Donna J says, why do so many Christians have different perspectives on the rapture? What are your biblical perspectives regarding pre or post tribulation rapture? Who would like to jump on this one? I feel like as the theologian, I'm kind of obligated to go first on this. Um, <laughs> We've been giving you all the ones. I know. Uh, I'd basically say there are so many perspectives because, I don't know, from eschatology, is, which is the fancy term for study of end times, which includes the rapture, uh, it's not typically something I take a hard position on. It's kind of confusing when you read through all the uh, eschatological passages and you know, like First Thessalonians or Revelation, and, you know, it's just, it's not always clear. And there's different opinions because people come from different uh, um, means of interpretation of, like, how do these different verses fit with those verses. Um, yeah, so that's, 
kind of a, a short answer. Is, yeah. Do you it's have difficult? <laughs> do you have an opinion that you would hold to? Uh, I would probably say pre-trib, but that's again, I, I don't have like a, a strong feeling one way or the other. That's more just an inclination. Okay, Jamie. Um, yeah. So Donna, this is this is what I would have to to tell you. Um, those topics. Um, they're important, but I kind of describe it like this. There's like closed-handed issues and there's like open-handed issues. Like there are, there are topics that we have to stand up for, must agree on. Like, and these would think would be things like Jesus is the Son of God, or you know, Jesus is the way to salvation, or you know, God's word is the Bible. Like these are things that Christians have to be united on. And then we have open-handed issues. Like this would be like. Yeah, if you're pre-millennial or all-millennial or post-millennial, pre-trip, post-wrath, post I mean, there's all kinds of positions. And that's just like, we can talk about these things, but we can't, like, divorce over them. I say it's okay to discuss uh, pre-wrath and pre-trip and pre-mill, uh, post-mill. Like, we could talk about it, but we absolutely can't divorce over it. And so I would caution... Um, not saying that you're feeling like this, Donna, but there are some Christians that I have met that they get so emotionally charged uh, when it comes to being pre-mill or all-mill um, that if someone else disagrees with their um, their position, then they say oh, you're not a Christian, and that's going that's going too far, you know. So I just want to first off say be careful. Like we need to maintain Christian unity when we talk about these issues. That being said, apocalyptic literature is just hard to interpret. It just is. And what you have to know, Donna, is that there are amazing and great, wonderful men and women on all sides of this fence. You know, and when you, you can pick up so much literature and so much books, and I'm sure there's a lot of wealth of knowledge online. Okay, where you can read one thing and be like, okay, that makes sense to me. And you can read someone else's thing and be like, okay, maybe that doesn't make so much sense to me. You know, but you should look into it and you should see all the evidence and you should see all the interpretations and to, to have a position. I think that that's, that's great. So for my, my personal position, I just say I'm a pan-millennialist. Okay? Which, <laughs> that's just a cop-out answer. Which <laughs> sounds like a cop-out answer, right? Say so I'm a pan-millennialist because I believe that in the end... It's all going to pan out. Uh -huh. Oh, that is a cop-out answer. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Fair enough. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I have a slightly similar answer, but uh, I took a class in my undergrad um, on apocalyptic literature, and I decided that I would write my final paper on the different views of the rapture uh, on end times and thinking, all right, this is going to help me to solidify my view. And so I read books on the pre-mill and the post-mill and all, everything, and I came away, I think, even more confused uh, than I started. And so uh, lately I've been going to a certain church that holds a different view, um, and uh, I, I lean now towards amillennial view. Um, I hold that so extremely lightly, though. Uh, I, I, you could convince me maybe a different way. Um, I can't even explain it super well because it's not something that I really go into a lot, especially with my work uh, with students. Um, it, it doesn't get super theological and especially super end timesy. I have a few thoughts on that, but I would hold more to the amillennial view. Um, I also don't hold to a rapture as most Christians would define it as this secret taking of Christians beforehand. Um, when I read scripture, I just see there being a second coming of Jesus mm -hmm. uh, when all the dead are raised and the living are taken up and then there's final judgment. Um, and so I don't see this kind of secret rapture happening. Um, and so that's just kind of my personal view. But um, yeah, so that's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah. Um, all right. So we'll, uh, we are actually right about to hit an hour. Wow. Um, <laughs> So I wish I could be raptured now. Trump makes me feel like the tribulation is happening already. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, well, part of my view, I guess, would be that uh, back in 8070 is really when the end times started. We're kind of living in end times. Uh, isn't that kind of part of the, what is that? The uh, What's the technical term for that? Um, I'm forgetting right now. But anyways, 70 AD? Yeah. The destruction of the temple? Yeah. It's like the start of... Uh, <laughs> Oh, like the seven weeks or the seven years. I forget exactly. I'm blanking on my terms, but something or other. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. All right. So if there's a question that comes in here at the last moment, uh, then we'll take it. But otherwise, this has been a lot of fun. I did not know that we would uh, be going a full uh, hour 
that was, I guess, a partially surprising. Um, as, uh, I this just, it's already been an hour. I know, right? It just goes by so fast. <laughs> All right. Do you feel, uh, David's son, do you feel there is corporate persecution of the church happening? To what extent should a person of faith abide by the laws of Caesar as opposed to a command? Is there a corporate persecution of the church? Yes, there always has been and there always will be. Um, I think it's important to just keep in mind that uh, a global perspective on just make sure that we're not saying like what's happening in America is representative of what's happening to the church all, all over the world because lots of believers all over the world have it a lot harder than we do here. Right, um, exactly. But to what extent should a person of faith abide by the laws of, I think that's, yeah, Caesar as opposed to a command? Uh, well, first I would just start by going to Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Those kind of give us our basic understanding of a Christian's relationship to the government. And in general, uh, the Bible tells us that we are to submit to the governing authorities. Um, However, I would say that's not an absolute submission where we have to, in all times, in all circumstances, uh, obey the government, um, because the government is made up of fallen, broken, sinful human people, just as uh, yeah, just as the citizens are. And so, but we also have to recognize, as it talks about Romans thirteen, that God has established government uh, as an extension of His authority here on earth for our good, in order to. Um, uh, punish evil and uh, promote good uh, and flourishing in uh, human society. Uh, so in general, I would say we should submit to government unless it gives us a reason or unless it tells us to either do something which uh, makes us disobey God or um, yeah, just it causes us to be disobedient to God in some way or it, it uh, doesn't allow us to do something which God commands us we should do. And we have examples of this in the Bible. Like, for example, in the book of Daniel, we have two examples. Um, one with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. um, and also with Daniel himself, who, in both cases, it, the government officials of that day were trying to make them engage in false worship, and all of them kind of stood their ground and said, no, I'm not going to do this, and, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tossed into the fiery furnace, and God delivered them out of that situation, and Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, and God delivered him out of that situation as well. Um, even in the New Testament, we uh, see when uh, Peter and John are before the religious authorities of their day, and they say, you know, stop preaching the gospel, but they say, you know, we must obey God rather than men. Um, so, yeah, I, I, just to recap, I, I'd say we owe a qualified submission to the government. You know, we should obey the government, we should submit to it as Scripture commands us. However, if it does command us to do something contrary to uh, God's commands for us, then that's a time when either civil disobedience or just, um, you know, there might be consequences that the government might inflict on us. And, you know, scripture talks about that when we suffer for doing good, that that's a righteous and a good thing in God's sight. Yeah. So I would sum up what you said, Neil, with what Jesus said, to give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to give to God that which is God. What's interesting in studying this passage, when Jesus says, whose face is on the coin, He's using the word icon. Larry says, whose icon is this? Meaning whose image is on here? If that image belongs to Caesar, give that, that image to Caesar. And what he's saying is, whatever image is of God, give to God. Now, who, who is the image of God? That's us. So I... When Jesus says this, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God that which is God, that's the whole person. The whole person is to be given to God. So obviously we're not going to submit to things that are sinful or things that tear us apart from obedience to the Lord because we are to give to God that which is God's. Yeah, and going back to his question, it's, uh, you know, it will depend that the answer of like whether I should in this particular situation, in this particular political context, you know, be obedient to God or not. A lot of that will require wisdom and discernment. Yeah. But it's it's important to know what the basic foundational principles that scripture teaches about, because that's ultimately what we want to base our decisions off of. Absolutely.
Wow, well, this was a lot of fun, guys. I'm so happy that this worked out. This, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, if you tuned in halfway through, this was just a random, we were filming a video curriculum. The last two nights had everything set up and say, hey, let's just keep it going for one more hour, do this live Q&A. So thank you guys all so much for participating, for asking your questions. There were some really good questions. Um, Jimmy, thank you for coming over, for setting this up really it was all your idea <laughs> and um for your thoughts and your wisdom that you shared neil thank you as well um i love having you guys in my life and the wisdom that you have brought and helped me with as i think through a lot of these issues i appreciate it so thank you guys Welcome. Yeah, thank you guys all for watching. Uh, if you enjoyed this, again, as always, please like, subscribe, share it with a friend. That is the best way you can pass this along. You can follow on social media and know what's kind of happening next and, inter and engage with what's going on. Uh, next week on Wednesday at 1.30 Pacific Standard Time is an interview with Jay Warner Wallace. We're going to be discussing the nature of evidence, the evidence for God's existence, and then belief in versus belief that. So that should be a really fun conversation. I also got some interviews on neuroscience coming up as well as progressive Christianity. So that should be a lot of fun. And if this has also, this ministry, this YouTube channel is also a blessing to you, please head down to the link in the description below to the Patreon link. We love doing this for free. We have a good time doing this. I have a great time doing this. But also if you want to just support financially, there is that option as well. So thank you so much for watching and I will see you guys next week with another live stream. Have a wonderful rest of the day. God bless. Won't hesitate to follow your love